developing other leaders is how you scale. But that doesn't come naturally for a 20-year-old or a 30-year-old because they're, in, in essence, focused on themselves. Right. Where, I made, where I was lucky is I had good mentoring that people told me, now is the time to shift to you're growing other leaders so that we can scale this good idea, whether it was Saab or SeaWorld or certainly at Hershend is where I really learned that. So that's the best advice I can give. But also, you know, aspiring for a position is just the wrong way to go about it. I think it's doing the best you can. And if you're passionate, again, going to your passion and your love, you'll end up leading because people want to follow passionate leaders who know what they want and they know where they're headed. This is the Inspire to Move podcast with Trey McKnight. If we want to get there, we got to move. Let's go. So today we are all in for an incredible, incredible treat. I've known this guy uh, from a distance for quite some time. Uh, been following his story. Didn't know, though, that we were in such close, close proximity. Uh, but just to tell you a little bit about him, he's got an MBA from Harvard University, which that in itself, I could stop there and say, okay, an amazing, amazing feat right there. Uh, but went on to be um, basically a serial CEO who's done incredible things uh, with the Saab organization years ago, worked with Hershen Family Entertainment for about 13 years, uh, went on to um, work with SeaWorld. Uh, and if you know anything about SeaWorld, they were able to, they walked through a lot of, of struggle over the year and he was able to lead them through that. Uh, and then he also wrote a book a few years ago called Love Works. It's newly updated and expanded and has just some incredible principles for leadership. And so I am so thrilled to welcome to the show, Mr. Joel Manby. Hey, Trey. How, How you are doing? you? I'm fantastic. Good. It is so good to finally sit here. I've admired you from a distance as well. Oh, my goodness. The great work you do for Orange. One of the best Man. MC communicators I've seen. So well, it's, a, it's a real pleasure to be here. Well, I, I am honored uh, to be sitting in the room with you right now. Um, I, you know, I'm a little giddy, honestly, <laughs> a little giddy just to hear some of your story. Um, and just for, for this audience to get to hear from you a little bit, we could, there's so many things that we could talk about and, um, I'm just excited for them to get to hear from you. So I uh, would love to just, to yeah, I'd love to just jump right in, um, author of a book called love works. And from what I know of you, just from a distance, um, you, are the type of leader who believes in servant leadership, who believes in leading out of love, which I think is 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 a cliche thing to say. Um, in, in a lot of ways, you know, yes. everybody wants to be the type of person that, oh yeah, I lead out of love. I don't think a lot of people actually do it. And from what I've experienced in watching you, you actually that's how you actually lead, is you lead from love. You lead from from servant leadership and obviously have gained a ton of respect across the board and done so many different things. Um, so we're going to hear about some of that. But I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Would love just for you to tell a little bit of your story of just, did you always know that you wanted to be <laughs> this, you know, top of the chain leader? I mean, chief executive in so many different big seats. Mm-hmm. Um, what did that process look like? If you, if you go you know, back to, to growing up, um, tell a little bit of your story and sure, how you got there. Absolutely. Um, I will answer shortly that it was not a desire growing mm. up, but I, but I will tell you what drove me. I think sometimes negatively, um, you know, I grew up actually very poor. Okay. Um, my, my, fa- my family, we grew up in, we grew up in Battle Creek, Michigan, very small town, okay. but my dad was a failed entrepreneur. So okay. he had a tractor dealership 
and it wasn't Mako. It was the brand Oliver, and he should have had John Deere, but unfortunately he had Oliver, <laughs> which is out of business and no one has heard of. But what happened, Trey, is um, it went through a really difficult four-year stretch when I was young, and we. He, my mom told me after my dad passed that in that period of time, um, he was bringing home about $50 a week, which is like $2,000 a year, and, wow. and we were living off that. And I, every argument and stress point in my home was about money. Right. Why'd you buy this? We don't yep. need this, you know, and we, we shared rooms with my brothers. I, I had two brothers. We shared room, but the long story short, I, I think I was too driven early on to do things for money. Mm. And I, every, I can tell your younger listeners, every decision I've ever made because of the money ended up being a bad decision. Wow. And we can go through those, but, but, um, it, it should not be the driver. And I think in today's world, a lot of times it is. And what I love about your show and what you're trying to do is get people focused on their passion absolutely, and what they really want to do. And if, if I had done that sooner, I think I would have find, found contentment mm -hmm. and happiness sooner. For me, it didn't come until my 40s because I finally figured it out. But if I had not focused on going after money and focused on going after what I was passionate about, I would have gotten there faster. Wow. And, you know, even going to Harvard, I, I'll tell just one story. Um, when I was 20, actually, you, you talk about when I was young, I started out, I really wanted to be a baseball player. Oh, so and, did I. Really? <laughs> yeah. I used, I used to watch. So when I was growing up, the only two. Who was two, your team? So it was the two teams that had super stations. So I lived here in Atlanta. Atlanta so So TBS with the Braves. Yeah. And then the only other team at the time was WGN. So it was the, yeah, Cubs, the Cubs in Chicago. So sure. those were my two teams. And I was like, man, I want to be a professional baseball player someday. Did you, did you get very far in the process? Uh, I, I played in high school. Okay. That was where it stopped. <laughs> well, I have a funny story if you don't mind me Yeah, please, it. please. So I, I actually went Division three college nice. because I, Bo, I lived in Michigan. Bo Schembecker wasn't calling me from Michigan. I wasn't getting any full rights okay. to play football. So I went to Division three. I played football and baseball for four years. But my senior year in baseball, we played Division one schools. So I went, we played Michigan State and Kirk Gibson, the, he's yeah. a Hall of Fame baseball yeah, yeah. player, the LA Dodgers and the Detroit Tigers. They were scouting him. I have this incredible game. So the scouts invite me to the tryout camp. I make the running cut and the throwing cut, because I'm I'm fast and I can throw, but I never faced major league pitching. <laughs> and so I had to I had to get up and bat against people throwing 90, 90 mile an hour sliders. Yeah. And I looked like a ceiling fan. I mean, I was just whiffing <laughs> like crazy. But I I ended up that was kind of the end of my but I got a a, a really low draft, like paid fifteen thousand a year, and I had already been accepted into Harvard. And I said, you know, but my chances of making the major leagues are like a nano point versus wow. so but i will say there sometimes i regret that like i think i should have at least tried who knows maybe i would have learned how to hit a 90 mile an hour slider <laughs> but the the bigger point for your listeners is um you know don't don't focus on money focus on doing what you're passionate about and the rest really does take care of itself yeah, yeah. wow Man, that's great. So you, you so you're telling the story of you know you're playing baseball, growing through all that, um, moving kind of ahead, and kind of realizing you know you you wanted to um, make money, yeah, and and figure out how to do that. Was that what drove you to I guess you know pursue the the MBA from Harvard? Yeah, it really and, was. I mean, at that point, was it okay if I can get an MBA? 
Was it, hey, I want to be at the top? You know, I want to be at the top of my game. I want to, you know, run organizations someday. Or was it just, hey, we'll see what happens? You know, it was it was somewhere in between. I I, to to those listening, I would say what my focus on was always just do the best job I could. I always worked harder than most people. Um, wasn't always the smartest guy in the room, but I. I, I outworked everybody. You're the smartest guy in the room right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't I don't believe that. I think everybody has their own <laughs> gifted intelligence that sometimes, you know, we don't necessarily honor in this society. But um so I worked really, really hard, but I had I had a couple really good breaks. One was uh when I came out of Harvard, I insisted on going to the Saturn company, and that was a startup. Um, it was a very successful brand within Saturn Automobile. Yeah, Saturn, yeah, I remember those. Saturn yeah, I remember brand. when they, they first showed up. They, yeah. And they were they broke through the market. Um, it was a great example, Trey, of how uh, a new brand can come into a really crowded industry yeah. and with a real specific focus, and you, you can carve out a niche. Absolutely. And we did that because we focused on guest experience, not on the car itself. We were actually the first auto company that focused on the guest experience. Wow. And that was that was my big break because everyone there was young because none of the older GM execs wanted to take that risk. And I was always a risk taker. And so I I was very senior there at a very young age. And then my big executive break came when uh, Saab was half owned by General Motors. They wanted a Saturn person because Saturn had marginal cars, but exceptional marketing and exceptional distribution. Great dealers, you know, very customer focused. Uh, whereas that was Saturn. Saab had a great car, but really horrible marketing, horrible distribution. So at only 35, I was offered to be CEO of Saab North America within General Motors. That that's very young within the General Motors system. Yeah, that's huge. And so that was my big executive break. Until that point, I would just say, I never set out to be a CEO. I just set out to, I wanted to get promoted because there was more money and, and, and I wanted to do well. I, I, I'm very competitive and I, I want to do well. Yeah. Um, but I will say that transition for any leader, I think going from a number two to a number one is the hardest transition wow. there is in leadership because when they say it's lonely at the top, it, what's lonely about it is all the decision, all the tough decisions come to you and all of a sudden you're not in a conference room adding value to a conversation you actually have to make the decision Mm. and there's a stress point whether you're a one-person entrepreneur um, which a lot of your listeners probably aspire to be or ceo of a twenty thousand person company either way you're taking on the risk and there is a lot of underlying stress in that and so i would just in a way i'm saying be careful what you wish for because you know it, it definitely does come at a cost. Yeah. The difference between number two and number one is huge. And since 35 years old, I've been the number one executive as CEO of the next four companies. So I literally was a CEO for you know 35 years, basically, or no, sorry, 30 years, right. um, close to it. And that's that's been a lot of stress that's such the such the gray hair but i, it's, I just it's distinguished <laughs> it's distinguished yeah at least i'm not extinguished um that came close but so that's the big lesson of making that move for me yeah how um how do you prepare for that especially at 35 years old yeah how what do you say to someone who maybe uh is sitting in a in a position to make this decision or will someday sit in a position where you're being handed something that 
is probably much bigger than either you are ready for or bigger than you feel like you're ready for. Yeah. It, it's usually, what I've seen is usually the, the former where people think they're ready for it, but they're, they're really sure. not. Right. And um, I'll try to articulate this. I think the natural, the natural law of aging is we tend, as we get into our 40s and 50s, it starts to focus from my own career to helping other people mm -hmm. or yep. wanting to help people. I mean, the fact that your mission statement is to help others when you're so young and you came to that early, that's really tremendous. Wow. Um, you know, what I've seen the most humans, including myself, is it was more about building my career or for my family versus focusing on other people. Sure. And so the key answer to your question to me is, I think the biggest transition leadership is not only two to one, but it's going from I'm building my career or my company to I'm helping develop other leaders. Yeah. And you know, John Maxwell talks a lot about this too, of course, sure. that developing other leaders is how you scale. But that doesn't come naturally for a 20 year old or a 30 year old because right. they're in, in essence focused on themselves. Right. Where I made, where I was lucky is I had good mentoring that people told me now is the time to shift to you're growing other leaders so that we can scale this good idea, whether it was Saab or SeaWorld or certainly at Hershend sure. is where I really learned that. So that's the best advice I can give. But also, you know, aspiring for a position is just the wrong way to go about it. I think it's doing the best you can. And if you're passionate, again, going to your passion and your love, you'll end up leading because people want to follow passionate right. leaders who know what mm -hmm. they want and they know where they're headed. So that's the best answer I can give. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which raises, you know, you mentioned the importance, I think of, you, you mentioned having mentorship in your life, mm -hmm. having somebody who cares about you, understands who you are, what you'd like to do or what you think you're about and, and helping you kind of unpack what's been packed into you already. Yes. Um, and I think that's so, so key as early as you can get that around you is to have mentorship who recognizes you, who can kind of, you know, give you a swift kick in the pants <laughs> when, when you're stepping out of line and to kind of keep you focused on exactly what you're saying and, and helping others, serving others, helping develop other people rather than just focusing on what you're exactly right. What is, is, I is not, benefit I, I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. And for some of the lucky folks, it's their parents, but some of us, I mean, my parents were loving, but kind of my mother was very depressed and not attached emotionally. Yeah. And my father was always gone. I know they loved me, but I didn't get that mentorship from my parents. I was very fortunate. Football coach, yeah. counselor, uh, you know, my teacher in, in uh, undergrad at Albion was the first person to say, well, you should be applying to these Ivy League schools. And I just never even conceived of it because oh, no one ever man. gave me that vision. Yeah. And he did. And that changed the course of my life. And then we, we'll get to the Hershend piece, but Jack Hershend was the other huge mentor of mine. But you're right. You need someone to challenge you, but also tell you you can do it. Because yeah. for me, it was more believing in myself. Yep. Someone to say, Trey, you know, you've got what it takes, or right. Joel, you've got what it takes. And that's what uh, Jack Hershend and others did for me. You you mentioned at the beginning, um, that, you know, I've worked with Orange a lot, which if you don't know Orange, check them out. I'm doing amazing things for... Uh, just just for leaders across the world, really. Um, so I'm honored to get to be a part of that. But Reggie Joyner, who mm -hmm. leads that organization, is somebody who I, I would consider a mentor for me. And he was one of those people in my life. And that's why I'm so passionate about, about that mentorship, because um, it was, gosh, probably 2010, 2011. 
that he, he, we were sitting on the, I remember exactly where we were sitting on a balcony in Panama city beach, my wife and myself, he and his wife, Debbie, and a couple other people from his team. And he just said, I'm telling him, yeah, I'm going through transition. And I'm like, ah, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. And he said, uh, he said, I I think you need to get on a stage and start speaking in front of people. Hmm. And it, it freaked me out. Hmm. (laughs) It freaked me out because that was the one thing that I was scared of because I was like, no, what if I fail? What if I step in front of those people and I fall flat on my face, you know, Mm -hmm. but I look back on that now and he had the courage to find something inside me and to speak that into me and to draw it out. It was three years, almost to the day, three years to the day that I stepped on stage for the first time. But I attribute a lot of even me doing this podcast now, you know, to him just speaking that into me and saying, Hey, I think that this is something that you need to Good for him. So I didn't know that story. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I just say that just to, to piggyback on, on what you're saying is just the importance of, of of that. So you get, you get into these leadership roles, very young, 35 years old, uh, moving forward. And at some point, uh, you know, we've talked offline about, you know, we're Enneagram threes. And so we're driven and just want to move and keep, keep pushing forward. Was there a point for you that you experienced where, where kind of all that caught up with you? Was there a point that you experienced just any crisis? Cause I think we, we learn a lot in crisis. Um, was there anything for that, for, for you in that, that either taught you something that shook up your world? What did that look like for you? Oh, that's a tough one because there is an there is an answer. But um, let me give you a little context to how I got there, and then I'll yep. then I'll, I'll d- directly answer your question. So, for the first um, twenty years, I'd say of my career in the auto industry, mm-hmm. I saw mostly what wasn't good about leadership. The GM was very autocratic, fear based. Yeah. If you you know, it's kind of the macho picture, the macho executive with drinking sure. scotch and having cigars, right. cussing a lot, and it's like if you know, you had to have all the answers. And I didn't like working there at all. Mm-hmm. And I thought there, I was also a believer at the time, and yeah. I still am. I, I my, and and I was bothered that there there has to be a better way to lead. There has to be a way that you can love other people and run a really successful business. So that for me was what was inside of my core that I wasn't listening to enough. I should have left GM. I should have found the answer sooner, hmm. but I I was, you know, didn't really want to leave the great job I had. But when I got on the board of Hershen Entertainment, and and we'll come back to that, yeah. uh, but that's where I, I saw love in action as a leadership principle. And I, I stayed there for 13 years, and uh, we'll talk about the book. But what, what happened there is, um, I started, I think, um, I started letting my ego take over a little bit and letting the image take over more than, than it should. Meaning when I was on undercover boss and I wrote a book and I'm on a speaking tour and I started traveling too much, being away from my family too much. I was working all the time between the book tour and, and Hershend and I, I felt um, I was just dis, kind of disintegrating a little bit from my family, and I started some really self-destructive behaviors of you know, drinking too much, covering up the um, pain that I was feeling. Yeah. And what I I left Hershen to try to get a new start, and there I don't need to go into all the details, but when I went to SeaWorld, it just completely collapsed because instead of me focusing on my marriage, what I should have done is left Hershend and focused on my marriage. Yeah. But because I'm a three and I think I wanted to 
look successful, or be successful. Or I wanted I wanted to have an opportunity to run SeaWorld. I I left a great situation at Hershen and I went into a bloodbath at SeaWorld. Wow. And I was literally working. This is not an exaggeration. I was working 20 hours a day, seven days a week. We were trying to turn it around. Yeah. My wife and I had separated. She's back you know, in Atlanta. And instead of just doing the obvious thing, which is I need to quit, I kept going and my self-destructive nature, because I'm a three and I, and I wasn't ultimately being truthful. I wasn't being truthful to myself and I wasn't being truthful to my wife. And it ended up, you know, we, we ended up in a divorce and then I resigned wow. from SeaWorld, um, you know, three, three years into the job. And that's a story in and of itself. But the reason I'm telling it, and it's hard for me to, I'm sorry, it's hard for me no, to express it because I get emotional. And sure. I, um, the thing I would tell your listeners is, you know, when to, to be truthful, and one of the words of love is to be truthful. And I mean, be truthful to yourself. So, always tell the truth and and always admit a problem if you have it always tell your wife and your family the truth and i started lying to myself and then i lied to them because i just didn't want to face what i was doing to myself and that yeah. you know sea world wasn't turning around like it should so it was there's a downside to success if you if you let that rule you or the fear of failure rule you versus your character. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for me, the seven words of love that I outline in the book, that that's the definition of love that Jesus gave us. I didn't follow that for a period in my life for about a three year period. And it just nearly destroyed me. I mean, you know, just the, the things we went through as a family and counseling and, you know, just, it was not a good thing. The suicide thoughts, I, I don't, Wow. I don't like even like to talk about that, but how many times I thought about that. I look back now and I was so unhealthy that I didn't deal with the truth. And I, I bring it up because so many times, um, you know, you see my resume, other people do. It's really, yeah, I have a great yeah. 25 year CEO career, yep. looks great on paper, but it did come at a cost. Not that it has to be that way, but I just I I I decided I was going to talk about it because I know you focus on twenty year olds, and what I would tell them is your character and and living out a set of values that you have for yourself is more important than any worldly success. Because when I went through that, I lost my character, and my family didn't didn't respect me for a while. I mean, I've I've gained a lot back, and man, it's so much better than it was. Yeah. And all I can do from this point forward is always be an honest man. I can't correct what I did, but I can be honest going forward. And so I want to share that because everyone listening is going to go through a crisis in their life. Wow. Yeah. And, and address it, be honest about it, and deal with it, and don't cover it up because it only gets worse. So um, not, not to be a downer, but no, that, no, that, no, is, no. that is a really important piece i think of my story that it isn't always roses and uh you know it's just very difficult at times i appreciate you sharing that what um what was it that helped you push through that you experienced the crisis and then uh you know we see now it's like man i've yeah. gained so much back but yeah. in the middle of that crisis who were the people uh what were the circumstances that helped you 
get back on your feet? Yeah. Uh, first of all, it's, it was an accountability group of three men that I've known since Harvard, and I talk about them in, in my book. They they stuck with me, and they loved me, even though they were really ticked at me. Sure. For, you know, I mean, I didn't tell them the truth for a period of time. There was about yeah. six months where I lied to them, and they stuck with me. Wow. And they were the ones that called me one night, you know, when I was really serious about, you know, suicide. One of them came and stayed with me, and... That was number one, and number two is I, I got a really good counselor, and um, I know that sounds cliche, but he confronted me, but I, it was also a safe place for me to tell the truth, because mm -hmm. the one problem in the Christian community is sometimes they don't accept the truth very well, yeah. and the church sometimes doesn't <laughs> accept mistake, mistake, mistaken people or people who make mistakes sure. very well, and I think that's a real problem that uh, the church should love people through Absolutely. no matter what they go through. Yeah. And um, so that's, that's really how I got through it. And, um, you know, thank God I'm, I'm here today and uh, kind of back on my feet. So hopefully that helps somebody. Yeah. Listening. I, I think, I think definitely, I mean, I know there's, my thought is that there are probably multiple people listening um, who uh, are maybe sitting in that right now. You know, whether you're in your 20s, your 30s, maybe your 40s yeah. and have experienced some type of crisis and are just trying to figure out, gosh, how do I put the pieces of my life back together? Um, you know, and you're living testament yeah. of, hey, it can be done. It's going to require a lot of hard work and and digging through all the things and really facing, facing um, you know, what got you there. Yeah. And, and being honest with yourself and the truth of it, um, which again, you, you mentioned, uh, you speak about in your book. Tell, tell us a little bit about, um, just the idea of, of love works. Sure. Um, you know, you I said you learned, to. you learned a lot of that by kind of focusing on what you didn't want, the way you didn't want to lead, yeah. um, kind of taking that to Hershend and really leading in that way. How does that now apply sure. to your leadership no, I, and to your life in general? Well, it's, it's an interesting story because, when I, I, I was on the board of Hershen first and I saw how great their company was yeah. and I saw this loving nature, but it wasn't called LoveWorks at the time. It wasn't, it wasn't defined. When they brought me in as CEO and I wanted to do it because I loved the company, they asked me to put a vernacular to the culture that existed in Branson, Missouri. But as we acquired, we, we tripled in size and we acquired a lot of companies when we bought them, their cultures were horrible. Yeah. And so we defined the loving culture into a vernacular, and it, it, it's the seven words of love paraphrased from 1 Corinthians 13. So okay. yeah. it was Paul's apostle, Apostle Paul's letter in Corinthians, and it's being, the seven words are being patient, mm -hmm. kind, trusting, truthful, forgiving, unselfish, and dedicated. But it's not just the, the important thing for listeners is it's not words on a wall. Every 80% of companies out there, Trey, have their values oh, listed, yep. right? <laughs> Only 10%, to your point earlier, that people don't follow it. Only 10% have any kind of structure that integrates it into the culture. And so yeah. what I mean by that is we defined it. Mm -hmm. And not only were there seven words, but there were three-ish, four-ish behaviors for each word. So literally, there were 27 times... Uh, three words, right, three right. behaviors, seven, 20 different principles, 21 different principles that we taught people. So we define it. We, we taught it to all employees over and over again. We measured it. We literally had surveys to say, is your leader leading with love? And they would get rated so got accountability, yeah. accountability, yeah. and then executives would review it. So we would review it 
just as frequently as we reviewed financial results. Yeah. And I'm telling you, that's really rare. Usually companies are only looking at the numbers. Yep. We would spend just as much time on the culture piece and then we would promote it, meaning our raises at both SeaWorld and Saab were based on both what I call the do goals and the B goals. Mm -hmm. So the do goals are what all of us have to do. You know, you raise revenue, margin, attendance. The B goals are those seven words of love. That's what kind of leader do we want to behave or how we want to behave. So if, if the do goal is what I'm doing, the B goal is how I'm yeah. going about doing it. Most companies don't measure that. For us, if you scored high in both categories, you got a ra you, you got the highest raise. Those leaders who were doing both got promoted. So I go through those five steps because it's not just about the words, it's about the processes behind yeah. them. And for those of you, because I, I know there's people listening right now that say, well, love is soft, I don't believe it. It gets right. performance or whatever. <laughs> it's because they're misinterpreting it. Wow. And the biggest problem with the vernacular calling it love is people think it's soft. And it's not because, you know, the English language only has one word for love. And it's a very broad emotion. Mm -hmm. In Greek, there's four different words for love. Yeah. And we're talking about agape here. Yeah. We're talking right. about the verb that's unconditional. The Greeks also have eros, which is romance. And that's what most Americans think of love, but it's not the Eros love, it's the agape love. Yeah. So people who are hearing this thinking, oh, it's too soft. It's actually, I've led both ways, right? 20 years autocratic, fear-based, 20 years leading with love in a 40-year career, uh, five years of overlap. So um, I can tell you it's actually a little harder to leave, lead with love because it's more responsibility. You're looking at the whole person. Mm -hmm. But it also happens to get great results. And I'll just, I'll just quote one thing that's really interesting. The Gallup organization, mm -hmm. they measure engagement. They've done it for 50 years. Yeah. And so the average engagement of the U.S. worker is only 30% of the top score. So only 30% grade it fully engaged, which means 70% are only given you know, half or three quarters of what they can give. And that's a really bad score. When we would go into properties and we would put these principles in place, we had we had some properties with 15% engagement, just horrible, Jeez. go all the way to 80. And on average, really? we got people, we got properties to 80% engagement between 70 and 80. And turnover went down, you know, guest scores went up, employee scores went up. And very consistently, Trey, it took three years. It's not fast, it yeah. takes time. But the very same frontline workers would completely turn around because of either changes in leadership or sure. changes in leadership attitude. And I, I spent so much time on that answer because the most common thing I see why people are resistant, even if they're believers, even if they believe that love's the number one commandment, is they don't think it's going to get result or they're, they're of results or they're afraid of being perceived as a soft leader. Yeah. And I'll spend the rest of my life trying to take away that lie because I, my mission is to, to love God and love others. And I want to show 20 and 30 year olds that there is a way to lead with love. Yeah. And if you are a believer or if you just care about people, yep. it's the only way to lead. It's universal. Yeah. It's not, it's, it's not it just universal. as a believer. It's, no. it's, this is what you would want for yourself. This is right. how you would want someone else to lead you. 
Exactly right. And it's, it is ultimately the golden rule. And m- maybe it's obvious today in today's world, but when I was 20 and I was working in the auto industry, I saw no hope of that. And I, hmm. for 20 years, I lived in this kind of angst of I wanted something different. And it wasn't until Hirschend and thereafter that I understood that. So basically, I, I'm here and I, I wanted to talk to you and accepted the invitation because I want listeners to know that yeah. so they don't go, they don't have to waste 20 years of their right. career <laughs> doing that. Well, that's not a waste. It was a yeah. great experience. But. Sure. How, how would you say, because, uh, you know, you've obviously led organizations that, I mean, you're, you're essentially responsible for tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people at any mm-hmm. given time. Um, my guess is that the majority of, of this audience right now doesn't have that level of responsibility on their shoulders yet. Um, in your 20s, in your 30s, maybe your late teens, maybe even into your early 40s, and you're looking ahead at, you know, the opportunities that you have right now in front of you. How would you coach someone to start to develop those skills in leading out of love now, whether they're leading a large organization or they're leading a small organization or they're just leading their family. Mm. I mean, we all have influence wherever we are. You know, we may not all be in positions of leadership, but we all have influence wherever we sit. Yeah. How, how, how can we apply or how can we begin to learn and to develop and to execute those principles of leading out of love yeah. right where we are. That right is now. such a great question. And I'm so glad you ans- asked it. I'm also glad you added the family element because I wouldn't want people to think this is just about leading companies. It's right. about leading your family. And it's actually, that's where I had my biggest failure, which is what breaks my heart the most. I was, I never really had the breakdown in how I led people. It was leading my own wife where I really failed. And that, that just breaks my heart. But, um, the answer to your question is it's kind of back to even when I talked about at Hershen, it's first of all defining what do you want your personal values to be? Um, what's your mission statement? That I now have those seven words in my quiet time. I review them every day. Like this is who I want to be. And I look at yesterday and I, I take inventory of where I failed yesterday. Mm-hmm. And when I had my failures, I got away from that. I got away from my quiet time. I got away from my self-evaluation. So I'd, I'd say define it for yourself and your family and then review it. it, it go to God with it. Ask your kids, yeah. how are you doing? Ask your spouse, how are you doing? Ask if Even if you're leading two people, ask them. Give them the permission to hold you accountable wow. for those values. And most Especially men. I think we have so much ego sometimes. We don't no. want that to happen. No. <laughs> and, and to ask that question of your family and your leaders, do a survey. I did. I even asked my kids, you know, how am I as a dad? And, and it's, it's had a lot of great conversation. Um, and then, you know, hold yourself accountable to it. So I do think it's the principles are very f- applicable um, so that when you get in a position of leading a lot of people, you're used to holding yourself accountable to those values and then you can hold others accountable and give them the freedom to, to hold you accountable too. So yeah. that's, that's kind of a short answer to it. Yeah. I, I love that. Um, even, you know, I even, it reminds me of, you know, the biblical example of David, you know, how, you know, when David was first called, uh, before he became a King, before any of that homeboy was a shepherd in the fields, you right. know, like <laughs> taking care of his sheep. And there's nobody watching. There's nobody paying attention. 
But like he knew, like, you know, as any shepherd would be, it's like if I have one sheep that's gone off and run astray, I'm going to go after that one, right. you know, and, and the other 99, you're going to be good, but I'm going to go after that one. And I think that there's a very um, concrete picture there of just this, this, you know, when nobody else is watching uh, or with the, the, the small group of people that are watching um, that you give them that permission. To, that's a great, that's a great analogy. And know? David's my, um, I, he's my go-to at times in, yeah. in, because with all the things he did wrong, mm-hmm. he was still, he's known as a man after God's yeah, own heart. God's own heart. Yeah. And yeah. that's what gives me, it gave me hope in the darkness that I can get, get there. And, um, so I think that's a great, great analogy. Yeah. Wow. Well, we, we always, uh, kind of end with, you know, what would you tell your 20 year old self? And, uh, you know, maybe that's, that's different. You, you mentioned already, you know, what would you tell somebody in their twenties right now? And it's this, the idea of, um, just, you know, like being, uh, tr- you know, true, your character, right. your character is most important. Is that what you would tell your 20 year old self now? Or, or would it, it be is. something different? I mean, looking back to, I think I would tell them two things. Um, don't worry about the money, do what you love and be passionate. I know that sounds trite to some people, but it is absolutely true because God put a spark in you for, for a reason in whatever you're thinking about and gives you that spark. You're the only one that knows that your Mm -hmm. parents don't know that your, your spouse doesn't because you, you know, you're inside, you know, your soul and what just ignites you when you're doing it. That's what, I would ask people to focus on. And then the second thing I've already mentioned is to what, whatever your sin and whatever your dark side is, be honest about that and get it out there. And cause everybody has a, a weakness and, and be truthful. For me, it was being absolutely truthful. So for me, it's the answer and the advice is to always be truthful yeah. and, um, and don't ever lose your integrity cause it's really, really hard to get it back. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I got to say, I, I could sit here and listen to you talk forever. Mm-hmm. Um, the depth of your voice. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh my goodness. I'm just like, gosh, like you remember uh, James Earl Jones, you know, oh, uh, like you know, the voice that's... of Darth Vader and so many other things. I mean, that's probably one of the things. Simba. You most... Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> voice of Mufasa. Like I just, you know, like I'm sitting here and I'm just like mesmerized, you know, because I'm just like, gosh, um, if there's any, if there's anyone else out there, you, you're doing some speaking now. And, and, you know, if there's anyone else that would love to hear your voice in person whenever we can start doing that in person again. I mean, what is, what does life look like for you now? How can people connect with sure. you uh, and get to, get to experience the depth of voice with you as well, uh, as well as the that. depth of wisdom. You made me sweat. I'm not, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so I, um, I have a website, joelmanby.com okay. and I, I blog and, and uh, so I have an audible version of the book if they yeah. want, but they can buy the book there and get some free resources on leading through a crisis. I have uh, a three part video series on that 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 comes with um opting in there so that's probably the best place to go and uh if they want a book for speaking or anything that's all on that website joelmanby.com love that but it's uh my my mission is to teach love works and that that people can grasp that in their life and have a successful career as well 
and and not go through the downsides I did. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love that. Well, thank you so much for sharing, um, Joel Mamby. As he said, JoelMamby.com. I'll put that in the show notes. Uh, love Works is not just a book; it is a book that's been um, just uh, has been super successful in the past eight nine years, yep. and uh, I think and it's kind of it's, it's yeah. re-released and now it's taking off even more again. So, would highly encourage you to pick that up. Um, and uh, yeah, go and book Joel and just continue to follow. Is there where, how can they follow you personally? Are you on Instagram? Yeah, I'm on I'm Facebook. There's a Facebook page. Okay. It's uh, Joel Manby. So if they just Google that, it'll it'll pop up. Yeah, love right. that. Joel, thank you so much. Busy, busy man. And you took some time out to speak to this audience and I'm um, just so much value. So I well, appreciate I, you. I appreciate you, Trey. I really think your mission of what you're trying to accomplish here is really needed um, for the next generation. So I appreciate what you're doing. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. All right. We'll have you back sometime. All right. Love to. All right. Thanks, All Joel. Right, thanks. See you.